It's Esposito on 670 The Score. And that is me, Mike Esposito, here with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Glad to be with you, filling in for Mark Grody this evening. You just heard him and Ranji on a fun-filled afternoon show, uh, filling in for Parkins and Spiegel. I'm not sure what a lot of that was. I just know I was laughing very hard at a lot of it. Uh, Good stuff from our ISU brethren uh, there, Mr. Grody and Mr. Ranji. We are happy that you're here with us tonight. We're here until 7.30, leading into the Cody Decker show, which will lead you then into Cubs baseball, the Cubs in Arizona tonight, getting set to start the second half. Uh, That is going to be the focus of our little show here tonight, our 90 minutes. Uh, We do have a great show planned for you. Uh, Brandon Fryer is our producer. We're glad to have him along. Uh, We'll talk to Josh Nelson from Sox Machine uh, to talk about the Southsiders as they get their second half started tonight. Uh, The Astros in town. We'll talk uh, to Josh about everything White Sox. We'll talk uh, during the 7 o'clock hour to Evan Altman, Cubs insider. We'll talk to Evan uh, about the Cubs. Again, they're in Arizona. Uh, but the the bigger story for your Chicago Cubs, certainly the uh, imminent, I think that is the correct word now, the imminent breakup of this team. The first domino fell last night. Jock Peterson dealt to the Atlanta Braves. We'll dive into that a little bit. Uh, but again, all things Cubs with Evan Altman during the 7 o'clock hour before we get out of here. Uh, and Liam Hendricks. That Liam Hendricks interview was gold. Uh, Ranji and Grody did it this afternoon. Uh, We will bring that back for you in a little while as well. Always great to hear from the White Sox closer. He is a a breath of fresh air, uh, and certainly uh, we got some of that today on 670 The Score. We are broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers, and we would love to hear from you via text at uh, 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 630-612-644-6767. Uh, that is the Tech Zone, brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at rosenhyundai.com. We love to hear from you. We got lots of texts coming in, uh, including uh, fans of, of Mr. Grody will enjoy the text exchange, which I will not reveal, but uh, between uh, Les Grobstein's son, Scott, who also went to ISU. I just learned that today, uh, between, <laughs> between Grobber's son, Scott, and Grody. Uh, it was good, and it's on the score text line. So we, we want you to be on the score text line uh, right there at 312-644-6767. So feel free to, to jump on in that way. Uh, we will start with some news items, uh, and actually Grody mentioned this one on the way out before we get into uh, where I want to start with, with baseball. Uh, Kofi Coburn heading back to Illinois. He was in the transfer portal. There were rumors uh, that he was going to go pro. There were rumors that he was going to head to the uh, Kentucky Wildcats, uh, along with a few of the Illini assistant coaches. Uh, In the end, he ended up right back where he's at, Illinois. And that's good news for people like me, uh, Illinois alums or Illinois basketball fans. We do have some sad news coming uh, from the Illini sports program tonight. Uh, Bobby Roundtree, you remember him. He was an honorable mention, all Big Ten uh, defensive lineman from Illinois, Uh, He had uh, a serious spinal injury uh, back in 2019 in a boating accident. Bobby Roundtree passed away today. He was only 23 years old, uh, and that one 
certainly tough to hear, but uh, I wanted to let uh, fans out there know, uh, unfortunately, Bobby Roundtree uh, passed away earlier today. So um, certainly condolences and prayers out to the Roundtree family and uh, fans of the program and certainly people uh, within the Illini football program. Uh, one other thing, too, before we get into baseball, uh, Tom Brady, you know him, uh, our friend, uh, our longtime quarterbacking friend, Tom Brady, uh, apparently played all of last year as if this, you know, the people who hate Tom Brady, and I'm not one of those, and I don't get the whole hatred for Tom Brady. I get that, you know, he's he's Mr. Perfect, and, you know, Giselle is his wife, and he's won a million Super Bowls, and blah, 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 blah. The guy works hard. Uh, he's a competitor. He's one of the best of all time. But anyway... He played all of last season with a torn MCL. So, <laughs> yes, yes, he did. He won the Super Bowl with a torn MCL. Uh, one other footnote, too, as we head back into baseball, and this is good news, I think, the Toronto Blue Jays, guess what? They get to go play in Toronto again. Uh, due to COVID protocols, they were playing in Buffalo. Uh, the good news is that they are back uh, playing in Toronto. So I, I mentioned uh, second-half baseball. We definitely want to spend the lion's share of our time here uh, talking second half baseball. Different directions for our teams, and we're going to be heavy socks uh, in this hour. Uh, but I did want to start with the Chicago Cubs because some, some news uh, coming out of uh, the Cubs camp uh, starting last night. But really, I mean, the news was that they went from first place. They had that huge 11-game losing streak. And now they are uh, 44 and 46, tied with the Cardinals, but eight games back of Milwaukee. Uh, and the big news yesterday, Jock Peterson traded to Atlanta. Not that losing Jock Peterson is a huge blow. You, he was on a one-year deal. You didn't expect him to be back next year anyway. The big news, though, is that this is the, the beginning of the end of this group, which if you think about it, and I heard the guys talking earlier, this very well could be, could have been, I couldn't, I shouldn't put it in past tense just yet, but um, it's hard for me not to because this, this, uh, this era, this, this group, you know, your, your Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Contreras, your World Series winning, uh, Kyle Hendricks, John Lester. I mean, Lester's gone obviously already. Hendricks will be around for a while, but. Who knows about the rest of the guys? And Jock Peterson dealt yesterday. The Braves lost Ronald Acuna Jr. for the season. They needed an outfielder. Jock Peterson becomes that outfielder. Uh, in return, the Cubs get uh, a prospect from the Braves. Uh, Bryce Ball is the guy's name. He's a first baseman. He's the 12th-ranked prospect in Atlanta's uh, farm system. Uh, but when I say first baseman, I know your thought Im immediately goes to, oh, he's a Rizzo replacement. Well, uh, he's playing in Class A, and he's batting 207. So he's not replacing Rizzo anytime soon. Uh, he does have some pop in his bat, but uh, clearly he is not a, a quick uh, ma major league guy. Uh, but that brings us to Twitter, and that brings us to John Heyman of MLB Network. Uh, Heyman uh, talking to uh, our friends Joe Ostrowski and Cody Decker on the BetQL Daily Show, um, talking about Chris Bryant, talking about the likelihood of the Cubs making deals and talking about why he thinks Chris Bryant is most likely to go. You know, when he didn't sign that $200 million offer a couple of years ago, I think they should have understood, and Chris Bryant probably understands at least, that, you know, that's part of the uh, deal when you don't sign the deal. So uh, Chris Bryant is uh, one of 
several. He's not the only one. He's one of, I would say, four all-stars who are very, very likely to be traded. And you could throw Kibble in there as well. But uh, I think Cruz and Escobar and Frazier are also very likely to be traded. Um, and I, I do think Bryant will go somewhere. Um, they were unable to get a deal with him. I don't think they're going to try again at this point. I think he's one of those players who likes the idea of free agency. Nothing wrong with that. And, you know, the Mets are a perfect fit. That's a team that's interested. And uh, there are several other teams, from what I understand, that are interested. One, curiously, that I heard was the Dodgers. I'm going to have to look into that because I'm not sure how he fits the Dodgers. They have a very good third baseman. They have Bellinger and Betts. Uh, and Pollock and others in the outfield. I mean, Bryant plays any position basically except shortstop and catcher and probably second base, so maybe a little talk for second base. But um, I'm not sure how he fits there, but I think there are a lot of teams who are going to show interest in him. The expiring contract, which is generally thought to be a, a positive, and uh, the fact that he's so versatile um, that he could play for almost any team basically out there. That's John Heyman uh, on with Joe Ostrowski and Cody Decker and BetQL Daily uh, talking about Chris Bryant, which, and this is me, I know everyone has differing opinions on uh, the Cubs and their core and, you know, who you want to keep, who you want to go. To me, Chris Bryant, and I'm, I'm not considering price here, Chris Bryant is the best player on this team. That is my opinion. I know Javi Baez has fans. Um... To me, Chris Bryant is that guy. So for me, it's very sad to see what appears to be, you know, the the beginning of the end for the for the Chris Bryant era here on the Cubs. Now Heyman did uh, take to Twitter today uh, and said uh, two tweets here. I'll read you, uh, John Heyman. The Nats are among many teams set interested in Bryant, but it's uncertain if there's a prospect match as the Nats do not want to trade top pitching prospects, Cavalli or Rutledge. Um, So Washington, no surprise in the mix for Chris Bryant. Um, The other tweet uh, tweeted at the exact same time by Heyman says, while Bryant, Kimbrell and other Cubs are on the block, there are signs the Cubs will try to lock up Baez and Rizzo before talking trades to them. So, that's interesting, and, and Heyman obviously trying to report on this uh, story, as he always does, uh, and it's always uh, juicy here at the trading deadline in terms of what's getting out there uh, and what, uh, what teams are doing, who they're asking for. But to me, I get while the Cubs are doing what they are, um, the, it, you know, does the sell-off sit well with me? Not really. Um, I'd be curious at how the sell-off sits with you. If, if you want to, uh, to shoot us a text at 312-644-6767, we'll get to those texts then as we can. But, you know, this is the Cubs. And I get, listen, biblical losses last year, no fans, COVID. I know all of that. But you are the Chicago Cubs. And to their credit, the Ricketts family came in. They put a great team on the field. They spent money on that team on the field. No one is complaining about that. What I don't understand, I mean, I guess I understand it, but why I don't understand going forward is that uh, they have apparently decided that this this core, this, this group, uh, and specifically to me, Chris Bryant, uh, is not a long-term piece here. And I, I think the Bryant thing may be financial, but I don't know. To me, 
Chris Bryant is your best player. He plays everywhere. You heard Heyman reference that. He can play any position on the field. He's going to hit you 30. He's going to drive in 100. He's going to get on base. He's a great base runner. Yes, he's had injury problems. Um, but to me, Chris Bryant is the one guy I would keep, and it appears that he is uh, uh, not in their long-term plans. We'll see how it goes. The trading deadline, uh, nothing is automatic. I think Kimbrell getting dealt is a lock, right? Uh, there's no way he's an expiring contract. He's probably one of the most valuable pieces, if not the most valuable piece out there, this trading deadline for teams looking for bullpen help, which is just about everybody. But if you look at the Cubs roster, outside of Kyle Hendricks, who's who's on a uh, reasonable deal long-term, and outside of anyone that they may sign, you know, if they extend Baez or if they extend Rizzo, obviously they're not going anywhere. Nico Horner is not going anywhere. Ian Happ, despite his struggles, I don't think he's going anywhere. Jason Hayward, I don't think is going anywhere because nobody wants his contract. Outside of the guys I just named, Adbert Alzali, he's not going anywhere. I think everybody else is on the table. And that means Wilson Contreras. That means certainly Craig Kimbrell, um, Marisnik, any of your uh, other outfielders that I didn't mention. If they can't extend Rizzo, Rizzo. I mean, this could be uh, two weeks from today, the end of the month, we could be sitting here looking at a completely different Cubs team. And certainly uh, for those of us that have uh, thoroughly enjoyed, let's call it the Theo era, whatever you want to call it, the, the Theo Epstein. Ever since Theo came in, Rizzo was actually, I think, the first guy they acquired and they brought in and they started building this core you drafted Schwarber, you drafted Bryant, you drafted Bias, all of that. Um, to me, this is this is the the end of that era, and uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed the Theo era. I certainly thought uh, this group uh, in 21, while I wasn't high on them at the beginning of the season, I thought, hey, you know what? Maybe they got another run in them, and that losing streak decided that. I think that uh, we have seen that already. I don't think they trade Peterson without. Um, having a plan to to be sellers at this deadline. And and John Heyman and other baseball reporters are already all over the fact that, um, you know, lots of Cubs rumors and names are already out there. We'll get back to the Cubs uh, during the 7 o'clock hour. We uh, are going to talk White Sox next here on The Score. Josh Nelson of Sox Machine will join us. We'll listen in a little bit to Liam Hendricks, who was on uh, on the Parkinson Spiegel Show with Grody and Ranji today. So all of that is coming up next. The White Sox start the second half uh, with the best record in the American League. The Astros are in town, and uh, Josh Nelson is on next to chat White Sox with us as we get the second half going. It's Mike Esposito in for Grody this evening here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Trade they got to make. I think so because I don't think they will make it with this offense. Having, you know, I mean, like I say, they, I don't know when when Pantera will be back in the lineup. I don't see anytime soon, but somebody can help them. Jimenez be one, and then hopefully they can find another one. You know that voice. It's Ozzie Gian, the former White Sox skipper, on with Mully and Haw earlier this week talking about the Sox looking at bats. At the trading deadline, Mike Esposito with you in for Grody this evening here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, we're here till six or excuse me 7:30. Cody Decker, the Cody Decker show at 7:30, uh, will take you into Cubs baseball, the Cubs in the desert 
taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks as they get ready to start the second half. Kyle Hendricks against Madison Bumgarner. Lots more Cubs talk coming during the 7 o'clock hour. Right now, though, let's head on out to the Scort Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas is the home of the world's largest sports book. There we find Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. Josh joins us. Uh, and Josh, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can catch the Sox Machine podcast. It's everything White Sox. Uh, and we uh, got a lot to talk about tonight, Josh. Some big uh, roster moves heading into the day. Yeah, it's a, it's a big series for the White Sox. Uh, I think this is going to be one of those barometer type of series, Mike, where Rick Hahn's going to learn a little bit more about his squad. Uh, the call-ups for the White Sox today, uh, bullpen-wise, is uh, Aaron Bummer's back. That's the good news. And he's replacing Jace Fry, who got optioned back to Charlotte and AAA. Uh, yep. But the, the curious move is Ronaldo Lopez has been called up to replace Matt Foster. Now, Matt Foster wasn't being used a whole lot. And if he was being used, he was in mop-up duty. Whereas L- Lopez was starting games in AAA. The White Sox have a doubleheader coming up on Monday. Lopez theoretically could be starting one of those two games against mm-hmm. the Minnesota Twins. That makes sense. I don't know what they're going to do with Lopez after that. The reason I, I say it's curious, Lopez has had moments this season in AAA, but there have been more, it's been more bad than good. So I, I'm curious to know if this is like a last ditch effort because Ronaldo Lopez is out of options. And if he doesn't pitch well, is he someone that Rick Hahn's going to involve in a trade before the end of the month? Uh, is he someone that he DFAs uh, to free up more uh, space and rosters and the 40-man roster to add more players? That, that's why it, it's the, the timing of this call-up is curious, and yep. we'll see what happens with Lopez. Yeah, no, and I saw our uh, very own Bruce Levine tweeting earlier that he expects Lopez to get a start as early as next week. What you just said made perfect sense. And, yeah, I think here's a name, uh, you know, Sox fans have been hearing about and we've been talking about ever since he came over in that uh, Washington deal. But um, it, maybe this is the end of the line for him. Maybe it is as simple as that. Is he is he going to pitch, uh, pitch his way into Stang or is he going to be on his way out the door? Certainly – uh, the Sox uh, expected to be active here at the deadline. Yeah, and for Lopez, I, we need to see more life on the fastball. He's never had a problem with velocity, but it's like it's hard to explain, Mike. It's like the most hittable 97 mile per hour fastball in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 flat. It doesn't got a lot of spin. That type of velocity is wasn't giving hitters issues the last couple of years. There's not. You know, it's not great breaking pitches, but I know that he's been working on grips with new pitching coach Ethan Katz of the White Sox and working on that. And again, I'll see him in AAA, and he'll strike out 10 over six innings. And you're thinking, oh, maybe Lopez is back on track. And the next start, you turn on the game in Charlotte, and he's already given up five runs in the first inning. Uh, It's been very inconsistent for Lopez, and uh, I, I'm expecting him to make one of the starts against the Twins, but after that, I, I don't know how the White Sox use Ronaldo Lopez for the rest of the season, if that is truly the game plan. And maybe we'll get that game plan becomes more clear as we march closer to July 31st. Yeah, I'm guessing it will. Talking with Josh Nelson from Sox Machine, and 
Uh, Josh, definitely an encouraging piece, and I know I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see it happen as quickly as it did. Uh, we heard Ozzy alluding to more offense. Uh, Aloy Jimenez, I'm seeing him hit home runs down on his rehab assignment, but uh, this is certainly, to me anyway, uh, faster than expected and really great news for the White Sox. When do you think uh, everything going, uh, assuming everything goes smoothly, that uh, Aloy will be back up with the big club? I could see the White Sox spending all 20 days for Jimenez with his rehab, which puts him rejoin the team in Kansas City for that road series where he'll get a couple games in, and then his first home series will be the final weekend in July against Cleveland. And my former college classmate, Dave Lazat, shout out to him. He's the play-by-play guy for the Gwinnett Stripers who are playing the Charlotte Knights this weekend. And I wanted to get a non-White Sox-affiliated opinion on how Aloy is doing. And he says that Aloy looks good. Health-wise, he looks like he's ready to join the White Sox. You know, the bat mm-hmm. speed is there. Uh, <laughs> he texted me, he doesn't look bad in left field, and we all laugh at that for everyone that's watched Aloy play left field. Uh, I don't think the yeah. plan is for him to play much left field when he rejoins the White Sox. But, but when you're hearing people not associated with the White Sox and people from Charlotte saying he looks good, spirits are high, he seems excited physically, you know, there's no problems right now. He's getting the night off as it's part of the plan. If you're a White Sox fan, you got to get amped because I think he's joining the team for that Kansas City series. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to be at home for the final weekend in July. And that is a big addition to this lineup. But it has been a lineup the last couple of weeks, Mike, that has been performing well. It's a tough test tonight. But Gavin Sheets has been hitting. Jake Berger has been hitting. Andrew Vaughn's figuring out how to hit right-handers. And now the White Sox are going to add Aloy Jimenez back into the lineup. In August, they may get Luis Robert and Yasmani Grandal back. They, they may not ever be at full strength until September. But if they can get to full strength just before the postseason, I think you're going to see a lot of excitement about this White Sox team and a lot of people writing and talking about them possibly being the favorites to win the American League pennant. And why not? Especially with this starting pitching staff, Liam Hendricks closing games. Uh, But I do agree with Ozzy. If you really want to give yourself a better chance of not just winning the pennant, but giving yourself a better chance to win the World Series in 2021, another bat wouldn't hurt. Yeah, no, and and I, I wanted to ask you too. I have it here on my on my yellow pad. What pieces or piece do you consider most uh, essential here? Because this, I mean, if 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 it wasn't clear to you before the season, I don't mean you specifically, Josh. I mean our mm-hmm. listeners that they're going for it or they were going for. It, they were a serious contender for for the whole thing this year. I think their play certainly has answered that question. They are one of the favorites for the World Series. So they're going to go out. You know Rick Hahn is going to go out and look. So what, what in your mind, is what uh, should be number one on that list? I think if you're going to go for a bat, it's at second base. And Lurie Garcia has been playing really well. But the benefit of having someone like Lurie Garcia is that he's a super utility guy. You want to give Tim Anderson a day off in August? Garcia can play short. If it's Makata's day off, he can play third. Mm-hmm. If someone needs a day off in the outfield, Garcia can do that. If you stick him at second base, it's hard to move him around. And if you do move him around, then you got Danny Mendick. Now, Danny Mendick defensively can hold down the fort at second base. But offensively, there's some regression that's happening. The league is figuring him out. 
it's a it's a drop off the cliff from Lurie Garcia. And right now, Lurie Garcia, even though he's hitting well, is still slightly below league average offensively. When you have players out there like Adam Frazier with Pittsburgh, I know that this has been talked about ad nauseum with the White Sox, mm-hmm. but he's someone that replaces the production that Nick Magical left behind with a serious injury. And if you get someone like Adam Frazier, maybe you bat him second, maybe you bat him eighth, but this is a guy that makes a lot of contact, quality contact, and he consistently gets on base. And when I mentioned Aloy coming back. You're getting some power back, but if you can add more contact on base guys, that's great because then Frazier can play second base. Garcia's playing almost every single day, but giving guys days off as he rotates around the diamond. And then your bench is, a, is much stronger from a White Sox perspective. So for me, Adam Frazier is still the number one target. You can go get Eduardo Escobar if you want. If you want to get Chris Bryant, you'll get no argument from me. Uh, Chris Bryant right. is awesome. Uh, uh, but right now for me, if it's a bat and it's a position, I'm still circling second base. It's an opportunity for the White Sox to upgrade. Well, and, and you mentioned all the injuries and certainly Madrigal, a big one. But the fact that this team uh, is sitting with the best record in the AL after uh, the first half with all the injuries. Grandal will be out uh, for another few weeks. Um, you know, we've talked about Aloy, Luis Robert, et cetera. Um, has your thought process or has your opinion on what, – what is your current opinion on, on Tony La Russa and the job he's done? Because I know he took a lot of grief earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that changed at all in your mind? Where do you look or how do you look at La Russa at this point? Well, Andy McCullough's column or article covering La Russa and the White Sox last couple of series before the All-Star break was really revealing, especially the relationship that La Russa has with Tim Anderson. My opinion was really harsh and negative on La Russa, especially in April and May, where it was like every two weeks there's a mistake that's going on. But since June 1st, things have been clicking for the White Sox. And I think you have to give LaRusse the credit, especially with all these new faces that are coming in and they're performing so well. He's keeping the rookies on their toes because he wants them to be involved and active because just don't be happy that you're here. I need you to perform because we're trying to win. You know, this isn't like, oh, I'm here in the major leagues. Oh, my God, this is unbelievable. No, I need you to play. And you need to replace the same performance with the guy that got hurt before. And it's a tall order, but that's the expectation. And having Larusa at the helm, that's the big difference between Renteria and Larusa. Larusa's been through this before, and he's had success before with this, whereas Renteria never had that type of success. And we would be in the unknown with Renteria handling the situation that the White Sox are in. So I think has yep. done a terrific job. Uh, with all of the injuries and the pregame and getting his team ready to go. It's the same thing, though, with all managers. How does LaRusa handle the transition from the starting pitchers who are facing a lineup for the third time? And when does he pull them and go to the bullpen? Sometimes he gets burned. Sometimes we see the hero performances, especially from Carlos Rodon and Lance Lynn. Uh, yep. But he doesn't get that all the time with Giolito, Cease, and Keuchel. So will he make an adjustment post-All-Star break? That's something I'm going to be paying attention to. It's a bit nitpicky, but that's how managers get fired, especially in the postseason. And that's how seasons end if you don't handle that transition well. So that's the only thing that I'm looking for, uh, paying attention to for LaRusse's managing skills. But right now, 
it's just not weathering the storm, Mike. They have an eight-game lead in the American League Central. And if you voted yesterday or tomorrow for manager of the year, I'm sure he wins it in the American League. Yeah. He, he is certainly a, a lead candidate. Uh, and last thing for you, Josh, we appreciate you jumping on. Uh, pitching tonight is Dylan Cease. He's one of those uh, potential studs. Uh, you see flashes. You also see uh, outings where uh, he doesn't have it. Uh, Cease against McCullers tonight. But um, your thoughts on Dylan Cease heading into the second half. Is, is he going to pick it up and be one of those stoppers for the White Sox uh, can he live up to his potential heading down the stretch? It, that's a great question, and it's really unknown. Uh, tonight's a good test. Uh, he's got to navigate through Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley because the last time he faced the Astros, Brantley hit the three-run homer in the first inning after a couple of errors by the White Sox, and Cease goes off the rails. It, he just seems like someone, if an opposing team gets to him early, you can knock him out of rhythm. And once he's out of rhythm, he has a hard time getting back into rhythm. However, in his last start against Baltimore, Baltimore jumped out early on him, and he was able to recover. So that's what I'm paying attention to as far as Cease's development and progression. If you give up a two-run homer in the first inning, can you make sure those are the only runs allowed, and can you get through the sixth inning? Because if you can, that's the maturity and the progression that we believe Dylan Cease can be that type of pitcher. But if he can't, then he's always going to be a number four, number five in the White Sox rotation, which is fine because the White Sox have a lot of talent in their starting rotation at the moment. But I think that the the mental part is what Cease has to overcome because physically and his pitch arsenal, it's all great. But if he gets into a rut early, can he overcome that and stay on the track and make sure that he can get through the fifth and sixth inning and give his team an opportunity to win? Because right now in his early starts and when he has his bad starts, if the teams jump out on him and he falls apart in the fourth inning. So if that's something to pay attention tonight against the Astros, then hopefully he, he figures it out. We, we will be watching it closely. And uh, Josh Nelson, Sox Machine, thanks for your time. Uh, you have a good evening. Go enjoy that uh, Dylan Cease outing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. That is Josh Nelson. You find him on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh, Sox Machine podcast, uh, and SoxMachine.com. Uh, so we appreciate his time. And again, it is Dylan Cease and Lance McCullers this evening. We'll do Cubs at the top of the hour with Evan Altman from Cubs Insider. Next, though, we had a special uh, appearance this afternoon. Uh, White Sox closer Liam Hendricks was on with Mark Rohde and Chris Ranji on the Parkins and Spiegel show. It was great stuff. We're going to bring it back to you next. It's Mike Esposito filling in for Grody right here on 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. Mike Esposito back with you on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score in for Mark Grody this evening. Grody and Chris Ranji were in for Parkins and Spiegel. It's uh, off day Friday here at the score, and uh, I'm glad to be with you this evening. Here till 7.30, the Cody Decker Show comes your way then. And then at 8.05, Zach Zabin will have your Cubs pregame down in Arizona. Cubs and Diamondbacks, Kyle Hendricks and Madison Bumgarner. Cubs coming up at the top of the hour right now. I'd like to... Uh, 
have you give a listen to this uh, great interview from earlier today, Grody and Ranji, with White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. Uh, yeah, it was great. Obviously, uh, being in Colorado and me suffering from altitude sickness was a lot of fun. But other than that, I had a good time. My wife loved the uh, the red carpet. She was a big fan of that one. And then she wore a power suit, so she uh, was able to establish her little st- sense of style out there as well. Has she enjoyed all the attention that you have received because of the conversation that you had with Joe Buck, I guess we could call it? Yeah, I mean, it was one-sided because I legit couldn't hear him. I The volume was too far down. Like, I didn't know if I was live. I didn't know what was going on. Um, so I just played it as a normal inning instead. And, uh, yeah, she's uh, – <laughs> She's got. She's mastered the eye roll uh, right now. So um, <laughs> yeah. So she's uh, she's getting exasperated by a lot of it. But uh, at the end of the day, it, yeah, she understands, and she now she can tell other people, no, this is how he actually acts on the field at all times. So this is uh, a glimpse into the life of. See, Liam, I I know that you're a pretty smart dude, and my thinking was he's doing this on purpose. He's he's pretending like he can't hear anybody because he want he knows this is going to be great and it's going to be great television and it totally was. So we are right now in a forum that this is all about trust. So you can tell us, uh, <laughs> could you honest to God not hear Joe Buck? No, I honestly God couldn't hear him. I think I would have been a lot funnier and a lot less crass if I could have, <laughs> um, and I would have been much more descriptive. Obviously, the first pitch to Aussie Albies was a knuckleball. I would have probably portrayed the fact of, hey, guys, watch the knuckleball. I would have said some things along those lines coming in. But, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have been a little bit funnier, but um, a lot less uh, real maybe. <laughs> well, well hold on. Can, can you, can you, Liam, can you even pitch without swearing? I want to know if you're capable of that. It, very rarely does it happen. Um, and it's usually when I'm very, 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 very locked in and haven't overthrown a pitch at all. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, but there has been occasions where it has happened. It's like a blue moon. So Jake Peavy used to pitch for the White Sox years ago, and he was known for the, for the exact same thing, except uh, the, the versions of what he said was, was a lot cleaner. Like he would say, it," or he would say, uh, God bless it. Have you ever thought about going that direction? Ned Flanders? Yeah, I, have, I have, but that seems anti-Australian, to be honest. I, I mean, um, yeah. yeah, so I actually made my debut against Peavy. He does the same thing in the bullpen. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, this is back in 2011, so a while back now. But, yeah, I think I've, I've looked into that, but it's just it's less authentic. Talking to Liam Hendricks, White Sox closer here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score along with Chris Ranji. I'm Mark Grody, and we've been talking about your bullpen a little bit, Liam, and the fact that that maybe, you know, you have definitely lived up to the billing, but maybe some of the other guys have not. Do you guys need more help in your bullpen to get to where you guys want to go? And that's obviously winning a World Series. Uh, I think the guys we have out there are definitely capable. Um, I don't think anybody has quite lived up to their own expectations, including myself. Uh, I think we've all gone to a point where it's we've had good stretches and we've had tough stretches. And I, I still believe, honestly, to this day, that the guys we have out there are capable of getting it done in no matter what situation ever. Um, but, I mean, for me, selfishly, I'd like a little bit of extra, like a veteran leadership out there just so it's uh, – because let's be honest, I'm not really a veteran. I am way too uh, jovial and <laughs> – 
I don't consider myself a veteran at all. So it's it's like someone needs to rein me in most of the time. So, uh, yeah, having a nice veteran guy out there I think would be great just to be able to kind of go through some guys. The guys have been through some things. and But, no, I don't think we necessarily need a uh, like a huge overhaul or a little or like even a piece here and there. I think we've got the guys capable of doing it. It's just now kind of tapping into that and making sure that we all run uh, fluidly at the same time. Well, you've been in a number of bullpens over the years, uh, you know, different teams, different bullpens on the same team. Well, what what is this one like in terms of personality and in terms of ability compared to what you have been used to? As a straight talent level, I don't think I've been in a bullpen with more talent. Um, I've been in some very veteran bullpens. I've been in some uh, this is probably the greenest bullpen I've ever been a part of. Um, but no, it's it's. The personalities out there mesh very well with each other. We're able to joke around. We're able to do this. Um, it's just that it's it's the knowledge of being able to overcome the humps. That is one of the biggest things that uh, we had a bunch of guys do really well in the 60-game season last year. And then moving forward, it's, it's hard to replicate a 60-game season over 162. And getting that kind of settled down and the fact that it doesn't actually matter, just go out there and pitch your game. That's the biggest thing that we're trying to get through to these. This is some of the younger guys of it's not necessarily, oh, well, they're hitting me, so I need to change. It's no, you just need to have that confidence back in yourself because when you have conviction and confidence behind a pitch, you're going to do a lot better than when you don't. Liam, I want to go back to a, a word that you used about yourself being too jovial to to be the guy who is sort of the the leader of the bullpen and i love that because i think you're talking to two guys right now in chris ranji and mark grody that we don't really like to have a lot of responsibility in life either is that is that kind of what it is man like you you just want to do your thing go out there be a stud closer but not have to be responsible for anybody I don't mind the responsibility. I like being able to – certain guys play into this well. Certain guys are able to kind of flick the switch between having fun and joking around and then flipping the switch to being, okay, now I'm the best that there ever was and I'm going to pretty much annihilate the other team. Uh, But certain guys don't react well to that. And you need that kind of yin and yang kind of personality where some guys need to be locked in and they're maybe a little bit nervous throughout the course of the game where me joking around and doing this isn't the best thing for them. But someone who is a little bit more stoic, who's a little bit more analytical, is, is it going to be a little bit more, have a better, a better effect on them. So I don't think it's necessarily the fact that I don't want the responsibility. I think it's more along the fact that not everybody plays into my certain uh, kind of attitude towards life that, uh, that some people may or may not agree with. But no, I want the responsibility of making sure that this is a uh, – this is a pen that I'm going to be proud of no matter what happens, regardless of results, regardless of anything like that. These guys out there, they're going to grow with the game. They're going to be better. And it's, it's just a matter of getting that through to them. Like this isn't a struggle that is going to define your career. This is a, this is a a blip in the radar of a a long and healthy career. Liam, how has this team been able to stay eight games up and, and have a, a, a pretty significant lead at this point of the season, despite all the injuries that you've dealt with? Uh, pretty much we just yell at each other. Um, <laughs> that's mainly it. I think uh, there's no one walks into this clubhouse and is scared of making a mistake because it doesn't change people's opinions of them. We're going to just yell at you no matter what. Even if you do well, if you do badly, it doesn't matter. Our opinion never changes. The way we look towards you never changes. The way that guys, uh, like, there's not going to be anyone tiptoeing around you if you have a bad game or like that. They're going to say it to your face. And it's you learn really quickly that you have a bad game. It doesn't matter. 
just pick it up tomorrow and let's get better tomorrow. And then I think that's been one of the biggest things that guys have learned was I can have a bad game. I can have a stretch of bad games. They, they're not going to treat me any different if I, as if I'm a pariah or I can't be around them. It's just a matter of, okay, I have a bad game. So what? You know what happens tomorrow? I'm going to have a good game. And then you go at it, and that's what seems to be happening this year. So can you do that that quickly? Can you compartmentalize? I mean, you did have – you gave up a home run in the, the final game against Baltimore in the final game of that series. Are, you walk off the mound, are you pissed, or does it go away really quickly? How do you deal with that personally? Oh, I'm definitely pissed. But then I made a joke of the fact that I was trying to make everybody else late for their flights. So, um, <laughs> and then I spoke to Trey Mancini at the home run derby. I was like, no, no, no this, this is all the plan. I'm trying to get you locked in. And I mean, he got to the final. So there's, there's that. So something must have worked, but, um, usually I give myself that night. So if it's a day game, I'll give myself till I get back to the hotel or the room or my house. And then, um, I'll watch the broadcast both sides. And then I kind of, from there, I may still want a little bit overnight, but when I wake up the next day, it's, it's gone. It, uh, it doesn't matter anymore. There's nothing I can do to change it. All I can do is move forward. You know, there's a, an idea in bullpen that's been around for a while now, and that idea is your closer shouldn't always primarily pitch in the ninth inning. That if maybe the game situation is in the eighth or even in the seventh inning, if there's a, you know, you're, you're facing three, four, and five in the order, that that's the most important time to use your closer, you know, your best reliever. Do you think that's generally a good idea, or do you do you feel like you have to have that ninth inning and know it's the ninth inning? Because I know people are creatures of habit when it comes to that. I don't necessarily need the ninth inning, but I still believe that it doesn't matter who's coming up in the seventh or the eighth or the ninth. The ninth inning, the three outs in the ninth are the hardest ones to get, regardless of if it's seven, eight, nine, or if it's two, three, four, it doesn't matter for whatever reason, those last three outs, it depends. It, it just comes down to the fact that sometimes the opposition just can smell it. They can sniff it. They, whatever it is, I have no idea, but those three outs at the end of the game tend to be a lot harder. Um, <clears throat> but I couldn't care less which inning I pitched. If their matchups come in and I'm ready, like they need me in the seventh, I'll be ready in the seventh. They need me in the sixth. I'll be ready in the sixth. It doesn't matter. I just want to pitch. So I just wait down there and wait for the phone to ring. And as soon as the phone rings, I get it going no matter what. That's White Sox closer Liam Hendricks joining us here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, you guys hosting the, the Houston Astros tonight, a team which unfortunately for you guys swept you guys in four games in June. You guys were outscored 27 to 8. You guys feel that? I mean, will that be something that will be in your heads tonight? Oh, I don't care. I mean, congratulations. You swept us in June. Uh, who gives a to be honest, I mean, at the end of the day, it's you move forward. I don't care what a, a series was before because at the end of the day, I don't think like I was with the A's last year. I don't think we lost a series. I think we, I think it was like ten to one or however much it was against the Astros, and then they came and whooped our ass in the, in the ALCS or the ALDS. So it it doesn't matter. The biggest thing that matters for us now is taking advantage of trying to go out there and win a division. I don't care who we're playing. I don't care the fact that if we beat up on on teams sub five hundred and whatever it is, as long as we're hot when we get to October and hopefully we uh, were able to clinch a division, hopefully we're able to kind of get there. But that's the biggest thing is as long as we're hot at the end of the season, that's all that matters to me. By the way, you're not, this is not Joe Buck. So you can't, you can't, and your earpiece is working fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, uh, yeah. I knew it. <laughs> I think it would have been interesting to see what they would have said <laughs> or how they would just try to disguise it. If, uh, if I was, if I could hear them or, or anything like that, but it would have been interesting talking to two old Smaltzy while I'm, 
cussing up a storm on the mound. That would have been. That been <laughs> I'm sure Smoltzy would have. I'm sure. I'm sure that Smoltzy would have, or maybe did actually appreciate what what was going on. Oh, I'm there. sure. Yeah. Well, I was talking to uh, Peter Moylan, who now does some stuff with John Boy Media, and. They just told me, don't ever change. I'm like, I'd much prefer to be myself and be interesting rather than tone it down and be PG. It's just, what's the fun in that? I mean, you may as well be yourself. I mean, there's too many people in this game. Like when I came up, there was, you had to be stoic. You had to be kind of uh, against all the emotion. You had to remain calm and you had to do this. It was like, no, screw it. The whole adage of let the kids play is is fantastic i mean let the emotions fly if i yell at you and you bat flip to the moon like if i yell at you as striking out and the next day you get me for a homer throw the bat to the moon i don't care it doesn't bother me at all but don't get pissed at me when i scream at you it's just it goes both ways are are, do you do you think that baseball is moving fast enough in that direction like i mean are players accepting it more and more uh they are until it affects them i think it's one of those things where it's uh a lot of the time, it's like, let it, let it play, let it play, let it play, let it play. And then all of a sudden, if I'm yelling at someone who's been backflipping the entire year, then they get pissed. It's like it goes both ways. You can't have it. You can't do it yourself and then not expect me to do it. Same reason as if a guy hits a home run on me. I don't care if you throw it over the netting. Except for the fact that it's dangerous for fans. Don't do that. Uh, but just things like that. I don't care. Like, show your emotions. Let it fly. This game is... That's the way we're going to target younger people is letting letting our emotions out, letting our character out, letting people see behind the curtain and see that we're actual people, not bloody robots running around. That's awesome, man. I I love hearing that. Who with whom did you have have had the best shouting match ever? Oh, I don't know. There's been a few that um, I still remember a specific event, and it wasn't against. Like it was against the Mariners, and it was last year. It was uh, I was facing Carl Seager, and I I, I can't remember. I think it was the second batter. I struck out the first guy, then Adam screamed naturally, and then the I got him up and I got him two zero, and then their dugout started yelling. Not Carl specifically. Carl's one of the nicest guys ever. Okay. Uh, their dugout started chirping a little bit, and so I got back, and then gets a 3-1, and he pulls a ball that went 9,000 feet foul, but it was hit very well. And their dugout started chirping a little bit, and knowing me, I just decided to chirp back and then uh, kind of gave him a little shrug off with the with the hand and then struck him out at the end of that at bat and then just decided to look into their dugout and scream a little bit. Um, <laughs> that was good. The next day when I gave up two runs in the – 10th inning that wasn't good uh but look it's part and part of the way things go it's not always going to work out but i'm not going to change no matter what the situation realized and I, I need to psych myself up if it's a five-run game if it's a one-run game if it's a 10-run game i need to go out there and make sure that i don't like my goal is to not let anybody score regardless of the score regardless of what the uh the game situation is my goal is to not make anybody like not let anybody score and if someone scores i'm going to be mad 